Verizon has just released a series of industry snapshots about cybercrime based on Verizon's 2012 and 2011 data breach investigations reports. The snapshots aim to provide analysis about the anatomy of a data breach and advice about data breach prevention. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group, and I'm here today with Wade Baker, Managing Principal of Verizon's Risk Team, who discusses results from those industry snapshots. Wade, what can you tell us about the breach trend analysis Verizon has put together since releasing the 2012 and 2011 data breach reports? You know, if you think about these two reports, the, the 2012 was 855 breaches and the 2011 was 761 breaches. So, you know, we're talking 1,600 some odd incidents that we've investigated over the last couple of years. And when you look at statistics across that many breaches, the findings don't speak well to any specific segment or particular group. It's just what do we see across everything? So that's large businesses, small businesses all over the world, different types of industries. So in these snapshots, we're trying to give much more particular, specific glimpses into the problems and challenges within financial services, for instance, or related to intellectual property theft. Uh, and I think that's the real value here. It's not new data necessarily, but it's a, a new perspective or at least a more clear uh, view into the data set that we've published over the last couple of years. In some of this analysis, Verizon notes that financial services faces some unique data and information protection challenges. And I'm wondering if you can elaborate there and explain why financial services has such difficulty when it comes to information protection. I- I've enjoyed doing these snapshots because I've kind of visualized attacks on a continuum from highly opportunistic, purely financially motivated, kind of mainline criminal activity. And on the other end of the the spectrum, you have your more targeted attacks. And financial services is interesting because it kind of represents the turning point. It represents both of those areas on the spectrum. We do see highly optimistic attacks and and things that are uh, relatively easy, but we also see more targeted things. And so when you look at the result in this snapshot, you're going to see, for instance, a more balanced threat profile. You know, if you look at back at the 2012 PBIR and you look at the figure that lists our seven main threat actions, you're going to see heavily, heavily weighted towards malware and hacking. And that's a lot of those automated, industrialized, uh, opportunistic attacks. But if you look at this financial services snapshot, there's much more balanced. There's diverse tactics. Surprisingly, physical is the most frequent uh, threat category. It has a lot to do with ATM tampering and things like that. All that to say, it's an interesting mix where you really start to see that all of these activities are not just one-dimensional in terms of network intrusions, but there's a lot of different ways that organizations or uh, criminals are stealing financial data from especially financial organizations. Well, then what about some of these other industries or sectors such as retail and healthcare, what about some of the unique challenges that you see facing those particular industries, Wade? The one that's going to look very similar to the results of the overall uh, data breach report is the one for accommodation and food services, which is just the quintessential opportunistic attack. All those criminals care about is stealing payment card data, and they want to do that as easily as possible. Retail is similar, right? Because as, as you might imagine, but in the retail snapshot, there's a much larger proportion of, again, the skimming activity, where there's gas pump skimming or devices installed on point-of-sale systems and things like that. So you start to see that in there. We start to see more application-oriented attacks for more of your uh, larger online retailers. 
healthcare is an interesting study in these things in our data set, which again is not just Verizon data, it's shared by a lot of other law enforcement agencies around the world. It's still about stealing payment cards and personal information, mainly for the purposes of fraud. So when you look at this healthcare snapshot, you're going to see something that looks rather a lot like the accommodation food services and retail. Same kind of threat space because you have the same criminal element that's trying to steal data to commit fraud in a lot of those. And you know, the mix in the healthcare is a lot of clinics, doctor, dentist offices, things like that, where they still have to process uh, transactions and take people's data. Can you give us some perspective on some of the security concerns, I guess, that you see in retail as well as healthcare and how some of that is impacting the financial services sector? In fact, I was talking to a financial services organization last week, you know, and they were saying that there's a perception out there that most of their losses come from uh, breaches, very large breaches from, say, either to themselves or other large financial institutions. But from my perspective, it's really more like death by a thousand cuts. And uh, it, it's these smaller merchants that we deal with, process their transactions and, and have those financial, you know, somewhere in the financial uh, supply chain, we're, we're related to them. And when those merchants are compromised, then a lot of times we end up paying the bill on that. So I think that's how the impact finds its way back to the financial institutions. And you mentioned the point of sale vulnerability. So many of those small merchant compromises are due to poorly maintained or poorly implemented point of sale devices. And the criminals all around the world know exactly how to exploit those things. You know, I could do a scan across just a large IP space and find a point of sale server that's communicating on a remote access port. And then, you know, if it's got an easy password there, I'm in and I can install malware and steal all the card data that I want. And that unfortunately happens around the clock all the time, all too easy. Verizon notes that the theft of intellectual property also is an area that's been difficult for financial services as well as other industries. Can you give us some perspective on why intellectual property, at least the theft of it, is so difficult to find and identify? We did five snapshots. Uh, four of them are industry-based. And then we have this one snapshot on intellectual property that we threw in there. And uh, it might seem kind of out of sorts. But uh, the reason that we did it is just to draw the focus on that intellectual property theft is a different kind of beast. And it really takes place using different methods. A lot of times it's different groups that are doing it, uh, requires different fixes. Uh, and, and so it kind of deserved its own thing. And, and when you look at this intellectual property snapshot, we do a uh, an analysis of the types of industries affected, and financial services are right up in there in the mix, along with uh, government and technology companies and media companies and things like that. And so uh, it's certainly true that intellectual property is being stolen from financial service organizations. They're harder to deal with because uh, a lot of them take place by insiders, for instance. The rate of these incidents that are attributed to a malicious insider is 10 times the rate for across the entire data breach report. So I think that 2012 BBIR says about 4% of the incidents were attributed to insiders. For intellectual property theft, 41% of those involved insiders. Furthermore, the attacks themselves, if it's not an insider doing it, so many of the attacks trick or bribe or deceive or you know so, somehow use an insider in order to be successful. And so overall point there is when you start involving that human element, um, you know, it requires a different approach to, to solving the problem. Um, and it is also much harder to detect. So, you know, you don't have necessarily uh, an IDF signature that just pops up and says, hey, here you go. Um, you know, this uh, someone's trying to steal intellectual property. 
it's just much, much harder to do when you're talking about that kind of activity. Um, and if you look in that intellectual property snapshot in the uh, toward the back in the incident timeline section, you'll see that a very large proportion of those, almost a third of all of those incidents, take years for the victim to discover that intellectual property has been stolen. And I think that's very much a telltale sign of uh, exactly your point there, that they're just they're, they're hard to detect um, for, for many reasons. Can you account for why Wade 2011 saw such a significant increase in breach incidents as well as compromised data totals? If you look at our curve, uh, the, the tally of total records stolen over each year, and in fact, uh, the same trend I was looking just the other day is there when you look at numbers outside of our data set. So if you just look at some of the ones that are published by other groups, very similar trend. You know, you hit a height in 2008-2009 era where you had very large breaches in the financial sector. You know, they were very public, so they drove those totals up. A lot of those people were arrested. There was a law enforcement backlash against that. And I think it, the criminals changed their tactics. You know, they realized that, hey, I can get by, I can make my money stealing a smaller amount of data from a much larger set of victims. And I can use more of that for fraudulent purposes than if I steal 100 million records from one entity. Because what happens is you don't get a chance to use a fraction of the 100 million records for fraud before that incident is discovered and that set of data, you know, maybe cards are reissued or something like that. But um, if you steal a thousand records, from a thousand different, you know, smaller merchants, you can probably can use a much larger share. So all that to say, you know, there's the criminal motives and ways that they operate drove the total number of records stolen down. But then we had an upswing in the last year, but the upswing was not necessarily due to those organized criminal groups that are still behaving exactly the way I described, but much more related to the activism, you know, the, the, the hacktivist threat. They'd steal 100,000 records or however many it was, millions, 10 millions in, in some cases, and just release them on the Internet to embarrass somebody. And if that's your, your goal, if your goal is not to quietly commit as much fraud as you can, but your goal is to make as loud of a noise and, and public embarrassment as you can, well, then it helps to steal a lot of data because you know, stealing 10 records from somebody you want to embarrass is not nearly as effective as stealing uh, a million or 10 million. So again, the motive of the criminal group drove up that record so that in 2011, most of that upswing was attributed to these activist uh, type groups. Can you talk a little bit about some of the nuances, I suppose, that Verizon has identified in those types of attacks, as well as some of the malware schemes that you broke down during your analysis? You know, the uh, denial of service stuff is certainly uh, big news. These groups are trying to make a point, and they're incredibly um, efficient at it. You know, they've, they've announced we will attack financial institution X from, you know, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., and then tomorrow we're going to attack somebody else, and and they've, they've made good on their word, and the tactics that we've seen are changing um, in some cases from, from institution to institution. So they're, they're, they're using different methods. They seem to be adapting to the response put up by the, the target entity. Sometimes they come back around again. So it's, it's been an interesting study in that regard. And on the malware side, the, the malware space is increasingly fascinating to me. Several years ago, we, we reported this trend line of the percentage of the incidents that we investigated that involved customized malware. And for several years, that line was 
really going up at a quick pace. But over the last couple of years, that's slowed down and even reversed direction so that we see less customized malware involved. And instead of customized, it's really about commoditized. So you see websites that offer up malware for use in, in criminal activities. And it's very, very user-friendly, has a pretty user interface. Uh, the malware comes guaranteed to work with an SLA. If you have problems, you can call a, a toll-free help desk to get help. And so it's just a fascinating study on, on that commoditizing of this criminal weapon, if you will. Uh, it's really served to lower the bar of entry for a large segment of the criminal population where, you know, script kiddies and, and your sort of skilled attackers now can use some pretty sophisticated malware in, in everyday attacks. And that really makes it difficult to deal with from a defender's perspective. And Wade, with that, you know, my last question was to ask what types of prevention methods or what would be some of Verizon's tips based on some of this mid-year or mid-release analysis that you've put out? One of the main tips that I always talk about is using this kind of analysis, not just ours, but I'm a big fan of using data to combat data thieves. Um, because they have the advantage, they have the first mover advantage, they have the general advantage that all attackers have over defenders, and, and we'll always be somewhat reactionary. And at least we can react as quickly as possible. And you know, having more data and doing thorough data analysis and really understanding our ad adversaries and the, the techniques that they're using can help us respond more quickly and more effectively. So you know, in terms of prioritizing controls, for instance, I'm a big fan of prioritizing controls in a threat-based way as opposed to trying to plug all the vulnerabilities that exist across our infrastructure. Um, and, and kind of in that vein, what we've done in these snapshots, and even in the, in the main DBIR, is take the most common threats that we see. There are certain things that are relevant to everyone. You know, we always find that most likely for any kind of organization, the next breach is going to be because of something you thought you were doing, but in fact, really weren't, or you weren't doing comprehensively or consistently. So really checking things and, and checking to make sure those practices are implemented, validation, all of those kinds of things. Beyond that, you know, for financial services, for instance, we do recommend some things around ATMs, right? Because a lot of people are targeting those. We make some recommendations around uh, authentication. That's a huge problem for financial services because stolen credentials and things like that, you know, two-factor authentication and other ways to make sure that logging into your system that's who they say they are is a, is a big deal for them. We see a lot of SQL injection with financial institutions, so securing web applications and secure development and good coding practices is very important. And, and there's several other things along those lines at the end of the snapshots that, you know, hopefully a, a threat-based prioritized list of, uh, of practices. Wade, I want to thank you again for your time today. Yeah, thank you for yours. I enjoyed it. Again, we've just heard from Wade Baker of Verizon. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.